Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, assistant sports editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined today by Seth Engel from the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian for our weekly uh, Penn State football show here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel presented by Voodoo Brewing State College. Seth, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. It was a eventful weekend. We're, we're getting going here. It was. We finally have some football to talk about. Uh, a lot of questions on my list. I'm not sure if we'll get to all of them. Uh, but the first thing I just want to get into before anything else is Drew Aller Everybody in the Penn State world is on fire after watching some of the throws he was able to make um, in Penn State's Saturday night win over West Virginia, 35-15. to 15. Um, Really a lot more deep balls than I think you and I were expecting, Seth. Uh, but not just that. He looked great on some of the, uh, the crossing patterns. Um, he was moving. The receivers moving. Those throws were accurate on the mark. Um, some of the sideline throws I think were really impressive. Um, just absolute darts. Things that you know, normally look routine, but then you see Drew Aller throw those passes, and you're like, wow, there's some zip on that pass. Um, I'm going to ask you kind of the, the questions we have along here down the bottom. Um, is Drew establishing himself as the Big Ten's best quarterback in a minute? But before we get to that, I just want to get your general reactions to, you know, the way he played on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, holy cow. Like, you could not have predicted a better – you know, starting debut for Drew Aller than, than I think he put up, you know, 21 for 29, 325 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. I know there was, you know, one or two passes that, that probably should have been intercepted, but they weren't. Um, his stat line looks great. You know, his passer ratings over you know, 200 in, in your debut. It's pretty good. Um, he was ridiculous. Like, I mean, you talk about the zip. I think what stands out most of all is his poise. Like that was the first game he's ever started. And that was against a non-conference power five opponent. Like West Virginia struggled, but that's a, it's a legitimate college football program. Like, and he just looked well, you know, beyond his years. Um, it was exactly kind of what we saw when he came in late in the Purdue game last year. when we're like, oh, this is a true freshman who's moving his feet like that. At, nonetheless, at, at, at six foot five, 240 pounds. And we saw it again, but for a whole game um, on Saturday. So it was just, you know, really impressive. Um, really can't. I mean, he won Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. Like, he, he couldn't have had a better debut than he had. 
I agree. I mean, like you said, I think there was that one throw in the end zone um, that I thought was was looked a little bit like a you know freshman sophomore type of mistake. But other than that, I think the other one that almost got intercepted was kind of a tipped pass. It was a little high, but you know, I don't necessarily put that one on him. And here, like we're talking about not interceptions, like they were interceptions. Like that's how <laughs> you know how far you have to litigate it to kind of nitpick his performance. Um, Seth, I, I just want to get into the the conceit of this 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 video now is. Is Drew Aller the best quarterback in the Big Ten? I think there's really only two you know, direct competitors in my mind. I think it's Michigan's J.J. McCarthy and Maryland's Talia Tagovailoa. Um, but, you know, I, what we saw the other night, was that enough for you to say if he's not the best quarterback now that, that you can easily imagine him being better than J.J. McCarthy? He's already taken a team to the college football playoff, won you know, a Big Ten title, um, can you already imagine Drew Aller being the best pure passer in this league by the end of the year? I mean, his debut was was phenomenal. It was pretty flawless for the most part. Um, but it's still really hard to say. You know, it's been one game. Um, I know it was a great one game, um, but there's a there's a long season to play. J.J. McCarthy at this point, like you mentioned, has college football playoff experience. Like he's been in those games. Um We've seen, you know, that he's competent enough to lead a team to those games. Um, even Cade McNamara has been to the playoff. Um, so until, you know, Drew Aller's able to show consistency, I, I feel like it's really hard to rank him among these quarterbacks that have, you know, multi-year experience. Um, I think Tagovailoa is, you know, one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country. Um, and I think he's done a great job over at Maryland. Um, I think skill set wise. Like it, it, Drew's package is like pretty incredible where he's this six foot five body who's able to move. Um, and he's also, he has a ridiculous arm. So like, I feel like his skill set's probably above tag of Iloa, but you know, when it comes down to it, like the experience just isn't there. So it's still, it's still hard to rank him at this point, but you know, if you're able to win a few more offensive player, the, of the weeks and, and you're able to throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns for, you know, almost every week. I think I think you're uh, you're looking pretty good at the end of the year there if you're Drew Aller. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit premature for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. But you know, he's definitely in my top three already. You know, I, there's no one who's really distinguished themselves in this league, and I, I think that's why you have to be optimistic if you're a Penn State fan. Is um, you know, you're you're. I don't know if you've always been able to go into some of these games and say you definitely have the better quarterback um, in the last you know, even going back to the Trace McSorley days. And and I think, you know, it's an open question for everyone in the league. I think really for the first time in a long time, if, whether, you know, he is that number one guy. And I think that's what the, you know, Penn State's really lacked. I think that's why last year I spent time on the show saying, hey, let, let's see what Drew Aller's got, because I think he has that upside to be that quarterback Penn State hasn't had, um, you know, in some recent seasons. Um, but, you know, I, you know what you, who you mentioned, though, that I really do like is Tagovailoa. I think he's a really good college quarterback who is on a roster that maybe doesn't have um, kind of the talent to go with him to help him deliver. Um, J.J. McCarthy, though, you know, he has the experience. He has the, the winning behind him. Um, but I don't know if he has the this, this spectacular play um, to keep, to keep you know, Drew Aller at bay. And that doesn't mean I'm going to pick Penn State to beat Michigan today. Um, you know, it, it just means that come the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about Drew Aller as the number one guy. Um what was the? I think you talked about this a little bit, Seth. Was was the, was it the poise that was most encouraging for you in in that performance? And you know, I think we knew he had the talent, but 
but was it a matter of of you know showing some command and and barking out you know calls the way he did and and reading defenses and you know that's something I really noticed more on the NBC broadcast than I did watching you know in the stadium was he, he looked confident and in command and and um, I, I think that was probably the most notable part for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what I was looking for. Was I mean, obviously we knew you could say all you want about Sean Clifford, the quarterback, but like as a as a field manager, you know, he was one to point fingers and yell out to his O line, and he really did have control of that offense. Um, it's it's different with Drew, where he is. You know, if you talk to him, he's a he's a quiet guy. He's young. Uh, he's kind of just stepping up into this position and the spotlight. Um, and that is something I was looking for. And I think he did a great job of, of really managing the offense. Um, and I think he broke out of his shell a little bit too. You know, I talked to Sal Wormley post game and, and, and Wormley said, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to swear on here, but you know, Wormley said that, you know, Drew was, was pretty vocal. We'll, we'll say that he was pretty vocal. Um, he said some words that I don't think Sal had ever heard come out of his mouth before. Um, so that to me, I think is really encouraging if you're Penn State, where this quiet guy who already has the talent, you know, that is actually breaking out of his shell and, you know, could be the one to lead this offense to, you know, where it wants to go this season. I want to talk a little bit more about some other guys on the offense. Um, you know, obviously Drew Aller is going to steal the headlines, but I thought there were some other encouraging uh, performances. The receivers, I think we can just skip past Keandre Lambert-Smith. A1 performance looked great. I think he's, he's starting to answer those questions you and I have had about him on this podcast in the month, you know, kind of leading up to the season. Who was the receiver that I impressed you maybe second most of, of that group? Trey Wallace had a nice game. Um, Liam, Liam Clifford really impressed me. I think he's my number one guy because he made um, a couple of tough plays to, to move the chains. And, and, you know, I wasn't really expecting that from him. So, um, I'll make my pick Liam Clifford. What, what did you think of that receiver group and, and how it performed the other night? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, how about Liam Clifford earning the number three spot? I don't think anyone expected that. We were trying to predict, and we were like, uh, Mari Evans, you know, maybe Cephas creeps up. Liam Clifford, I mean, that is that is unbelievable. Um, but he did look nice. I mean, I think that my surprise, other than Trey Wallace, who had a he had career highs with with seven receptions and seventy two receiving yards, props to him. Malik McLean was was my guy there. I, I think that he. Um, he looked the best. I mean, he's 6'4", and he moves like he's smaller, but he also can use his size to his advantage. Today, we talked to Drew, Bo, and Franklin. Everyone had great things to say about Malik McLean. I mean, that was, Franklin made it a point of emphasis 
to go out of his way in his opening remarks to shout out Malik McLean and how he's, you know, kind of established himself within the culture um, and really showed it on the field. You know, he had four receptions for 58 yards and a touchdown. He looked, he looked great. Um, and I know Liam technically won that, that starting job for week one, but I don't think that's a competition that that's really ended. I think that it could be a week to week basis. And I think McLean has the potential to earn that number three spot against Delaware. McLean was a guy who I, you know, we talked about the receivers a lot. I don't think his name ever came out of my mouth and maybe that's just oversight on my part because I was kind of looking at Cephas as the guy as you know, I'm a Pittsburgh guy, right? And, and Cephas has those Pittsburgh ties. So I think there was a lot of, you know, wish casting, maybe not just on my part, but a lot of other fans that, that this guy that you're more familiar with maybe was going to step up and take that role. Um, why do you think McLean was kind of overlooked as that other transfer in the group compared to Cephas? Um, and, and uh, yeah, I guess that's the question. Yeah, I, mean, I think recruiting rankings kind of told the story there. Cephas was one of the top transfers in the country this year. Um, on numerous, you know, rankings. So he was expected to be a guy that you plug in right away. And, you know, maybe he even contests Keandre Lambert Smith for that number one receiver role. That was the expectation when it happened, when he committed. Um, since then, you know, we heard about the adjustment period and we saw him a little bit in practice running with not the first team. And it's just like, I think he's still adjusting. Maybe he'll get there eventually because it's it's just different than Mac defenses um but Malik McLean played at Florida State you know he he knows kind of what power five football is all about um he also when he committed I mean everyone had good things to say about him and I think he's really just just worked really hard I think is the bottom line I think he's worked probably as hard as anyone in that receiver room and I think he's deserved the playing time that he got on Saturday um and I think it hurts that Cephas came later than McLean did like he didn't, he didn't come with the rest of the transfers. He came in the summer, so I think that probably hurt a little bit. Quiet night from the tight ends on the receiving front. Um, they, that was, was not as if they weren't used. They were deployed in any number of of exotic formations at times. Um, what do you make of that, Seth? You know, I think they're going to be fine. Um, but and I think it was probably a tribute to the way the receivers were playing that maybe you didn't need to use the tight ends and maybe Penn state was holding back a little bit. Once you, once you got to halftime, once you got up, you know, two or three scores probably felt like you don't want to put anything on tape here in, in beating West Virginia um, maybe with those tight ends and how they want to deploy them. Do you think it, there was any of that going on? Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to like an exact science and strategy uh, when it comes to who they want to utilize. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think that, Penn State wants to kind of hide a little bit of uh, of what they can do offensively. I don't think they want to put it all on the table week one. Like, yeah, we're trying to answer questions with, you know, wide receivers and everything, but they're not going to, like, show everything. Uh, it was the same thing that happened last year. It took a little bit for the tight ends to get involved. Tyler Warren was targeted twice. I think Theo Johnson had one target. Um, <laughs> there was nothing there. Um, but nonetheless, after the game – I think Theo Johnson looked probably as happy as anyone that Penn State got the win. Um, I don't think there's any bad blood there, and I think there's been communication that eventually their time's going to come when it's needed. Um, I don't know. Franklin talked about it today a lot. You know, they're not going to force it to a certain position group just to get them targets if they don't need to. Um, so I think that too is a week-to-week -week basis, and 
Theo Johnson's going to play. He's going to have receptions. So is Tyler Warren. Just not this week. Yeah, I think, you know, I mentioned the the exotic formations, and, and we saw that somewhat with the running backs, too. Um, how much of that do you think is, is smoke and mirrors? I think in the second half there, they had, like, the three running backs behind. In, in They weren't in the shotgun. They were under center, and they had three guys behind Drew Aller. I was like, geez, this is what everyone in this stadium has been, like, screaming for online for the last, like, 10 years, pretty much since James Franklin showed up, certainly during those Big Ten championship years where – they only ever seem to be in the shotgun. Um, how much of that do you think is smoke and mirrors and, and to kind of psych out some upcoming Big Ten opponents? And how much do you think is, is really part of that regular offense where, um, especially on that, that touchdown that Singleton scored in the second half, um, where they Catron Allen and him could have blocked for each other. I think they could have gone either direction. That seems like the kind of thing that you want to keep in there. Then there were other stuff that seemed like it was a little bit more of a bit um, and like, oh, look, we got these guys all in the field because we can. Um, what was your read on that, Seth, and, and how those two guys are going to be deployed moving forward? Yeah, and then on the Singleton touchdown, you're referring to the T formation, which is yes. um, just classic Mike Yersich. I mean, that was a thing all last year. Um, it's an old-school offensive tactic that Penn State revived in 2022, and it just works really well. Um, you know, last year it helped when you had you, – you, it's usually like Katron and Nick on, on both ends, and then you put a tight end in the middle. Brenton Strange was arguably the best blocking tight end in the country last year. So it worked like exceptionally. Um, I think on the Nick Singleton touchdown, they had Khalil Dinkins in the tight end spot. Um, so that's, I mean, that's promising. It is, it's such a fun, it's such a fun play call. And like the thing that's kind of interesting about Yersich, and it took a little bit of adjustment. It's just like, he does like to play around a little bit. Like he, similar to, to, you know, the usage of position groups, like with tight end, like he's going to keep you guessing all the time. He doesn't, you're never going to really know what Penn state's game plan is going to be until they actually, you know, show up in the red zone and line up two running backs and a tight end. And you don't know who the ball is going to, you know, you really don't. So it's, it's, it's fun to see. And um, it's, it's equally tricky for opponents to game plan for. I want to talk a little bit about the defense before we do. Just a quick shout-out to our presenting sponsor, which is Voodoo Brewery and State College. Uh, enjoy the world-renowned craft beer and delicious cocktails at Voodoo Brewing Company, State College Pub, located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, State College. Uh, VBC State College has something exciting going on every day of the week. Join them this fall on Mondays for weekly free-play cornhole tournaments or test your knowledge with pub trivia every Tuesday at 6 Wednesday is their game night featuring game boards, card games, and the Nintendo Switch. Every Thursday, your boy Dots hosts bingo, but this is not your Nana's bingo. Saturday, they have the Nittany Lions and college football, and every Sunday they will have either the Steelers, Eagles, or NFL Red Zone on the screen. Make sure you check them out uh, this weekend or you know all through football season. Um, Seth, let's get into the defense a little bit. Not a really, I think, dominant effort from, from that group. Um, but you know, there was there was times where I said they're not getting home. Uh, the pass rush doesn't kind of look like you know what we've been sold and, and hyping ourselves up for. But it also felt like West Virginia was doing a lot of stuff to mitigate that, uh, getting the ball out quickly, um, you know, moving the pocket. I think about that long pass that set up the the first touchdown for West Virginia. Garrett Green had that ball out before any Penn State rushers had a chance um, to get to them. So so where do you think that? balance was between 
West Virginia was trying to neutralize and, and Penn State wasn't getting home on some of those rushes. Yeah, Penn State really struggled to stop the run. And that was the that was a problem last season, too. And you look back to the Michigan game, um, that was the question mark. Was like, if you're going to compete and try to win a Big Ten, like you have to be able to stop Blake Corum. And, you know, after week one, it's just like, I don't know if they are ready to do that yet. Um, they were without Keziah Zard. Um, he was out with an injury, but he's, it's not season ending. Franklin told us today. Um, as we know, Alonzo Ford's out for the season. So they're lacking some some defensive tackle depth um, at the moment. But, you know, the guys that were on the, that were on the field for most of the game was Devon Ellis, Hakeem Beeman, and Zane Duran. I think, you know, they struggled a little bit, you know, against Donaldson, who, you know, had a great game, and, and Garrett Green. You know, they were, they were getting pummeled all the time. West Virginia wasn't – they don't want to test Kalen King or that Penn State secondary, um, so they're going to run the ball. And I – pretty sure that was circled on Penn State's game plan already. They just didn't necessarily execute. Um, the thing that is interesting about the team, though, is like once you get into that second level, if you're if you're a team that likes to rush the ball, like it's it's hard to get past Penn State's linebackers. So you'll probably see a lot of like five, six yard rushes and they'll stop them before the first down. Um, but I mean, getting 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 loss of yardage and and stopping them at the line of scrimmage is is really going to be, you know, maybe the most important thing for this team moving forward. Yeah, I think it really was those runs up the middle. Todd Todd Blackledge, when I rewatched the game, you know, was calling it out that particularly particularly the interior of that Penn State defense, um, you know, did feel a little soft. And and there were times that you know I think West Virginia, if they had been a little bit more patient and disciplined, um, you know, and they had just kept doing what was working. Maybe that you know gets them to another field goal or another touchdown, and, and they don't lose contact with Penn State as quickly. Are you really looking at that Illinois game in a couple of weeks on the road as as a big test? Um, given what happened in State College two years ago, um, the way they you know that Brett Bielema offense just kind of pounded Penn State into submission in that you know infamous nine overtime game. Um, you know, people remember it for the nine overtimes. I remember it from sitting from sitting there and just feeling like Penn State was helpless, um, you know, to stop that Illinois running game. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles; we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I'm not too worried. I mean, it's a test because it's the Big Ten opener. But I, there there was one reason why Illinois was even in that game, and it's because of their running back, Chase Brown, was absolutely ridiculous. Um, he's gone now. He's in the NFL. Um, he, I, I think he broke the Beaver Stadium rushing record that day. He was well over 200 yards like that. He was the reason why Illinois was even in contention. He's the reason why they ended up winning the game. Illinois doesn't really have that anymore. I mean, they played Toledo, narrowly won. Um, their leading rusher had 58 rushing yards. Like Illinois, they're not used to a guy having under 100 rushing yards in a game because they've had Chase Brown for the last few years. Um, so when it comes to like stopping the rush, I don't know if I'm necessarily looking at Illinois as the test. Um, I think Illinois is a great defense, so that'll be a test in, in that regard. But 
you know, when it comes when it comes to rushing the ball, I mean, Michigan's the real test. I think Ohio State's a test. Um, but I, I don't really know about about the Illini there. Come on, we got we got to give the people a reason to keep watching until then, right, Seth? <laughs> yeah, that's. I think you know I don't have any doubts that Penn State's going to win that game. Um, and kind of the, the point you made earlier, you know, I looked up midway through the third quarter, I think, and, and on the scoreboard, West Virginia had both l- less than 100 yards, both rushing and passing. And I said, man, it didn't feel that way. And, and so, you know, I'm sure that you could probably imagine a similar effort unfolding, um, you know, in, in the macro at Illinois. I guess I'm just more curious if we're going to see any growth from from whether the West Virginia game to the Illinois game, because I think yeah. maybe it's too strong a word, but just just. Will we see some growth, and would that be an opportunity to see it in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you open Big Ten play, like that's when you're really going to start to throw all you have. Um, if you're if you're a college team, I think there were some growing pains last year too along the D line, especially on the edge. Um, last year, like it, it took until probably mid season to really see the true potential of that D line. Um, so yeah, I think by week three. You know, once you kind of get rid of those growing pains and you loosen up a little bit, um, hopefully for Penn State, Izzard comes back to add some depth there. Um, they know where people fit best. You know, hopefully for them, you know, that's that's a week where things start to come together before they really start to get into the bulk of the season. Um, and, and they're able to prepare for, you know, those two true tests in, in Ohio State and Michigan. What did James Franklin have to say about that kicking situation? Obviously, Sanders Sahadik missed a couple of field goals to the frustration of the crowd. I think that really changed the perception of, of you know, the contest. It, Penn State was in much more control than it seemed. If they'd gotten those two field goals, you know, I think it becomes a bit of a blowout much earlier. Um, what, did, what did James Franklin have to say about that situation and his level of confidence that they're going to get this straightened out by the time those games you mentioned are coming around? Yeah, I think second to run defense and, and greatest question marks on this team has to be field goal kicking. Like that will kill a program. You know, when you when you when you're in a close game with Michigan or Ohio State and it comes down to a game winning field goal and it may be, you know, outside of 40 yards, I don't think Penn State has a guy right now that they're completely confident can can make that kick. Um, so that's that's a problem for them. You know, Sanders Zahedek, like you mentioned, he missed the two field goals. Was taken out at halftime. Falcons came in, hit a couple. I think he had three PATs and a field goal. I don't think that competition's done yet. I think Delaware is a good game where you can kind of play both and let him let him play it out on the field, give Zahedek another chance. Um, but that's 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 a problem. You know, you can't. I think I think having a really consistent field goal kicker is one of the more underrated aspects of successful, you know, college teams. And, and it could, it could come back to bite Penn state. You know, I don't want to speak too soon on anything, but like it, it doesn't look like there's anyone that's like, they're that confident in yet. So we'll see how it plays out against Delaware. Do you think the atmosphere had anything to do with that Seth? You know, we rarely do we see, you know, a game this big, this early at home, um, you know, granted, it wasn't a huge game, I think, in terms of whether Penn State was going to win or not. They were three touchdown favorites, but you had the, you know, what they called sneaky whiteout crowd last week. Um, there was a lot of energy in the stadium. You didn't really have that kind of quieter chance to warm up against, you know, like a Delaware that, that you're going to see this week. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that played a part in, in what we saw or or do you think that that's, 
that this this is the Penn State kicking situation, and and that you know it is it's going to be a concern for a couple of weeks here. Well, so Haydick's a redshirt sophomore, so he's this is his third year on campus. I feel like he should know what to expect by now, um, in terms of those rowdy crowds. Like he's seen it before. Falcons is a guy who transferred from Columbia, so this is his first time ever seeing anything even remotely close to this. Um, and he played all right, so it doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, maybe it's it's it was the fourth largest crowd in Beaver Stadium history, so maybe that played something into it. And it is a mental game when you're actually out there. Um, but I don't know. It's there are probably a number of, of pieces why it just didn't go right for Sahadik. But I will say one thing. You know, Franklin mentioned that Sahadik stood up after a recent practice um, and spoke to the whole team, spoke out of his heart. Um, you know, he, he wants to be great. He doesn't want to let this team down. Um, you know, he wasn't embarrassed to say that and apologize. So, you know, I think that, that, that says something about the kind of guy he is. Um, and I think that, that gives, uh, Franklin a reason to maybe give him another chance. Seth, I let you out of here on this. I know he, uh, James Franklin addressed Neil Brown's comments after the game about going for the touchdown late i know it made a lot of penn state betters happy because that helped them uh cover the spread what what did james franklin say and and maybe what was your read on um you know was that the right thing to do in that situation or was it especially knowing that you're going to have to go down to morgantown next year yeah i understand why it seems like they're trying to run the score up but they did put in their second string offense like that's they're 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 trying to get Bo for Beulah reps. That was his first college game, and they wanted to put him against the cover zero, and he did well. You know, so when when Bo has never had the opportunity to play a college game, um, he's putting him in. He's trying to get him reps and the other second string guys. Like I have no problem with that at all. Um, it, it would have been one thing if they're keeping in Drew in that first team offense and actually just running up the score just to do it because they're like trying to be disrespectful. That's not what that was. And that's pretty much what Franklin was like explaining today. What I feel like a lot of people didn't understand. Um, I think it also says something that, you know, I believe West Virginia's first team defense was still on the field and they still couldn't stop Penn State's second string offense. Um, so I think that says, you know, a little bit if, if, if West Virginia really wanted the game to end so bad that maybe they should have, you know, been prepared to stop Penn State's twos. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and we'll see, you know, next year when they go down to Morgantown if that has any impact on the the lead-up, the conversation, um, you know, to the extent that, that people are trying to turn this into a rivalry. I'm sure those West Virginia fans are going to remember. Seth, any final thoughts, especially as we look ahead toward Delaware, anything you want to see this week? Um, you know, it, it's an opponent you're expecting Penn State to beat handily, um, but, you know, we still have to be looking for things. So, so what's on your mind as, as we move into week two here? I'm just, I mean, for Penn State, I'm looking for a wide margin of victory. Like, this is a game that there should be zero question marks about. I know there was a little bit of struggle in the first half against West Virginia. This is a game Penn State has to come out of the door, swing, out of the door swinging and not slow down at all. Like, like I'm saying putting up like 60, 70 points um, type of game. Um, that, that'll really kind of show um, what this team really is, if they really are as dominant as they – you know, maybe people expect them to be. Um, this is a game that shouldn't be close at all. Delaware probably shouldn't score at all. Uh, big question mark with the defense. Like, 
if you struggled against West Virginia, you better not struggle against Delaware is basically how, how this is. Um, run defense, obviously, we talked about. I don't want to see special teams, you know, miss a PAT or field goal. Um, but basically, you know, those question marks that we talked about all day today, you know, answer them against an FCS team. That's all it is. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch that play out. Um, everyone stay tuned for later in the week after the Penn State-Delaware game. Seth is, is submitting his post-game video reports uh, from Beaver Stadium. Got a nice reception this week, so we're going to keep them going. Um, so thanks to Seth for that. And, and thanks, Seth, for stop, stopping by. Um, looking forward to talking again next week as we set up that uh, Penn State-Illinois game. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Take care, everyone, and make sure to stay tuned. Check out the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter later today. Um, he's, I believe he has a special guest, so make sure you uh, stop by for that. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of $0.99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.